Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the podcast series, Mum, You've Got This. If this is your first time finding this podcast series, there are 17 other awesome episodes you could go back and have a listen to. There's an intro episode as well that explains what the series is about. If you are a listener of this podcast series and you are enjoying it, I would absolutely love for you to like, comment, share, leave reviews on iTunes, anything that you can to help me get these messages heard Uh, far and wide and have more people um, join this beautiful community that this podcast has started to create. Um, The person that I have featuring on episode 18 is Kira. Kira, welcome. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast series. Thank you for having me. Do you want to start by just giving us a, um, and I will say Kira um, is another podcast guest who has reached out and asked to come on to the series, which is fantastic. So I've never met Kira until two minutes before recording. Um, so it's really exciting to have her on. So if you just want to give a quick overview, Kira, of your family dynamic now, what you do for work, your partner, that kind of thing. Yep. So I'm currently living in Hobart with my fiance, due to get married in November, hopefully. <laughs> and we have our little 16-month-old girl, Mika, Mika Ivy. Um, and we currently, um, well, my partner works at the airport um, at this point in time, and I have recently gone back to work where I have gained two positions. Um, one of them is a teacher's aide um, at a primary school, which I sort of set up um, for myself as more of a future position um, to hopefully assist in um, being able to work full time again one day soon with having no family close by. Um, and also, I'm uh, just doing casual bartending at a local bowls club which works in really well as my partner's a shift worker they work uh, the roster around him so it's really good I can get a few shifts in for the week and it really helps out you said you've got no family around is that where is your family based yeah, so I grew up in um, country Victoria um, and my family are all on the mainland. So spread out everywhere, but my parents are still in Ararat in Victoria. Okay. So, and my partner's family are all central coast. Um, so we both have not one piece of family here, which oh. is really hard. <laughs> why, why are you in Hobart? What brought you down there? Um, so my partner's uh, family were originally from here, his dad's side of the family. He moved here in his mid-twenties. Um, he had a family reunion, really liked it, moved here. And then he actually got made redundant from his airport job uh, when he, uh, like in his mid-twenties, uh, late-twenties. And he actually moved to Melbourne, which is where we met. Um, we both worked for Jetstar and he, um, yeah, moved to Melbourne for career opportunity, um, being that there was no more here at the airport in Hobart and that's where we actually met um so we after we'd been together for a month or two he brought me here to visit and I think he was actually planting the seed then of showing me around Hobart how beautiful it was and I think he was setting setting me up to hopefully move here in the future which he won (laughs) he did he succeeded (laughs) he did and how with what's happening in the world currently with coronavirus and lockdowns and all kinds of crazy things how or has that affected you guys? Um, well, at this point in time, it's still up in the air. I obviously thought I lost my job 
yesterday or the day before, um, being no licensed venues are open. Um, however, I'm working closely with them to try and retain some form of employment. Obviously, there's still a few things that need to be done. Um, so we're just in negotiations at the moment as to whether I stay employed or whether they let me go and, um, you know, just trying to figure out the logistics of would we get the Centrelink payment if they did let me go or, like, would we get support? Um, I was fortunate enough for Phil to be able to keep his position at the airport. He's actually one of the only positions that has re um, been retained at the mm -hmm. airport. Everyone else has been stood down. Um, but he did just get advised, I think, yesterday where they have to start uh, considering maybe dropping hours, using annual leave days. It's not going to be the full pay that he's used to getting, which is what we live off. So it's just really scary at this point in time. What, yeah, what's going to happen? We're just paying it day by day, really. Mm. Like we all are, it's just drastically changing, constantly changing mm. um, every day or week or who knows when. So um, good luck to you and your family with all of that. I think, you know, as challenging as it is, it's comforting to some extent. Not really, you don't want anyone else to go through pain, but I think the biggest thing is that we are all in it together. Um, and, it, you know, there's been some beautiful things that ways that communities have really gotten around each other through all of this. What about, um, was your wedding to be or is your wedding to be in Hobart? Yeah, so we actually just confirmed our venue last week. Um, we've decided to get married at beautiful Frogmore. Nice. <laughs> um, very lucky. Uh, we always thought that was out of reach. Um, but because we are having a small wedding, we're only having mums, dads, brothers, sisters and my grandma, um, my nana. And, yeah, we just went out there for a meeting and it just all worked out where it actually was quite, affordable for our style of wedding so we're having our ceremony there and then just a group lunch so really really basic and yeah I'm hoping that we'll still be able to go ahead in November and if it doesn't I'm sure it will at some time closely after that so yeah and look we're, we're really flexible and easy um obviously it will just be a matter of getting the family here um mm. and then we could have a wedding anywhere so venue yeah <laughs> um so tell us about yourself then pre-children so maybe from when you finished where you did schooling and um after school what your career path was like travel that kind of thing yeah so um finished school moved straight to melbourne um just ended up there um on a whim wasn't really sure where I wanted to go but just ended up there due to someone having a spare room so I moved down to Melbourne packed up my car two weeks after I finished high school and I was like I'm out of here <laughs> and um, moved yeah, down there and looked for work for a couple of weeks I did struggle finding work initially um, obviously straight out of school from a small country town didn't have much experience other than McDonald's Target <laughs> you know the, the usual supermarket um, type of work so yeah, and I just um, landed a, a temp admin job. Um, from there, I was lucky enough that my next door neighbour um, worked at Bendigo Bank and she uh, managed to get me a position as a customer service officer at Bendigo Bank in South Melbourne. So I pretty much at 19 jumped straight into a responsible bank um, role and uh, moved quite quickly into like the lending and credit card side of things and was really setting things in place for career progression within the bank. Um, uh, but then I only ended up being there for two and a half years, I think it was. 
um, and I packed up and moved to the Gold Coast. Um, and then I did, I actually had to resign from my position, but I did end up taking another position up with them in the Gold Coast where I went and set up a branch, um, on the way to Brisbane. Um, but I just, at that point was banking, I think was, it was just getting too monotonous. It was, it was really not an exciting career and growing up, um, Oh, this is a little side story, but uh, my dad uh, moved to, uh, went to London for work. And when he came back, he bought me one of those little aeroplanes that fly around on the ceiling of your bedroom. And he said, here's a present for you. He goes, when you grow up, um, I want to, I want you to be a flight attendant. And I was, cause I never knew what I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, I'm not listening to dad. And then the more and more I looked at that plane every day, I was like, oh, I'd really like to work for the airlines. And so that was sort of in the back of my head. And even at the end of school, when the teachers would ask me what you want to do, when you leave school I would just say look I don't want to go to university I just think I want to work for airlines and I want to um, progress my career through work rather than university or degrees so I was always adamant about that and um, lucky enough when I was working at the bank in um, in Gold Coast I just happened to jump online and when I was reading the descriptions I think the the ground operations the customer service role just stuck with me a bit more than the flight attendant at that point in time um, and I just jumped on and applied and I think I totally forgot I'd applied and two months later they called me and I got a group interview um, from there I progressed to the next stage and out of like 40 people in the group for those phone interviews and then group I managed to get one of two roles at the Gold Coast Airport for Jetstar which was just amazing really really lucky yeah so I was where I belonged at a very young age (laughs) (laughs) and what happened after that um, so then um, I worked there for three years, but my goal was always to move to London and Europe and travel around Europe and also Canada at that point. But London was always first. So I was basically just biding time at Jetstar, getting life experience and work experience, um, living the party life, obviously, as you do in your 20s. And my goal was to save as much money as I could to then move to London. So um, me and my brother made an agreement and we booked flights and we um in 2010 I think it was we all packed up and went to Europe and traveled around and moved to London for two years so that was yeah and then while I was there I was just doing any type of work like I just was doing like reception type work whatever you could get generally you only got paid seven pounds an hour in London no matter what you did (laughs) so um you just took anything you could get really especially if you were an Aussie right (laughs) Yeah, I was just there partying and really job or anything. It was whatever I could make money to just like go to Europe and take my next holiday, really. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that was, yeah. And then I moved back from London and I had a bit of a a decision to make and wanted to do something. I think I grew up a little bit and realised I actually wanted to maybe get a certificate or something, some bit of paper. Um, and I was lucky enough to come back in the year where the government were offering the uh, free or discounted uh, courses, like through mm-hmm. TAFE, they were, they were funding them. So um, in the one year, I actually decided to go to TAFE. I, I think, again, it was just an, one of those, I go by a lot of signs in my life and I was walking through the shopping centre and there was a, one of those little booths in the middle of the shopping centre and it said $500 off this course and if you put your name in the barrel and you win, you get course for really cheap and I won it and they rang me up and I said well why not so I ended up doing 
at TAFE that year a diploma in event management and I did a certificate for in business administration by correspondence at the same time as doing the diploma. So oh, managed yeah. to did the, yeah. Where did the event management side of things come from? Was that that was sort of just always a passion that you wanted to get into? It was. Uh, look, I was never one to be, you know, running around planning parties or wanting to do weddings or anything in my younger years for that to be a real passion. But there was something about that style of work after working in operations. People had always mentioned that I'd be good at it. It was sort of that style of work, the organisational, that really, like, stuck with me. And I was like, oh, I think I could do this. And then I entered into the course. My teacher was absolutely amazing. She's a really inspiring lady. Um, she's really progressed and got had her own business and she really really made me want to actually achieve and do it um and um at the like throughout the course I think one of the main reasons I decided to do events also was that I saw it as an opportunity to gain full-time employment and also with the opportunity to possibly contract out later on and when I have a family I could work from home as well as like having a baby, which in my head I thought would be easy. <laughs> but that was generally the, the plan was that, okay, if I can get myself into this career, I can possibly work from home, have a baby, still work. And that was sort of part of the goal. Mm. Um, and then when I left, when I finished that, I actually was lucky enough to get uh, the top of the class in that as well. I got a uh, event student wow. of the year and, and, and ducks. So I came out of that quite confident um, with, with possibly gaining employment. However, I was wrong and I really, really struggled. Mm -hmm. And I think I realized and what the answers I was getting from people was I didn't have the hospitality experience. So that was something that I just kept getting rejected because I didn't have, I hadn't worked in venues or hospitality. So okay. therefore understanding that side of things, um, you know, you can have your certificate, but you need a bit of experience behind it. Mm. So I actually ended up back at Jetstar for another three years at Melbourne Airport instead, just in the interim while I was deciding what to do. And what did you do after that period of time? Um, so that's when I met my now fiance and um I when I met him I was like oh, um look I, I don't want a relationship nothing can happen between us we're, you know we're just friends I'm just letting you know in two months I'm actually gonna move to Canada um and it was like whoa I've just met this guy but I'm moving to Canada do I just leave without him what do I do we're really getting along um and as things progressed um he decided he would come to Canada with me and <laughs> In eight months, we I waited for him to save. We packed up and we moved to Canada together. Oh my goodness! What took you to Canada? What was the plan? Or what? Yeah, what was the goal? Um, there? Again, a sixteen-year-old goal. This is how my life's going to go. I'm going to work for an airline. I'm going to move to London, and I'm going to do working holiday visa in Canada. Uh -huh. Okay, I love your commitment. My yeah. life. <laughs> and so, and I I turned thirty that year, so it was like whoa. I didn't think that would creep up so quickly. I thought I'd have so much time after coming home from London to be able to go. Oh. And all of a sudden I'm 30. I'm like, I have to go now or never. Mm. When like was, so when Canada, was this? When did you go to Canada? This was uh, when I was 30. So this was 2015. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a really like now or never do it. 
And if he had, I don't know what I would have done if he hadn't said he's not coming. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been one of those really torn decisions. So, um, yeah, I moved to Canada and it was, the, the two goals there were to work in hospitality and get as much experience as I possibly could um, to then bring home and possibly get a job in events. And that was, uh, and also learn to snowboard <laughs> was the other one. <laughs> and and I conquered do, both of those things. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. So that was amazing learning snowboard and then just working and their hospitality industry over there is great, that they're really passionate about it. That's high level of service. And I got a lot of experience. I actually managed to, I was a cook in a kitchen. I was a supervisor at a really, really nice restaurant on, on the top of the Banff gondola. There's a gondola that goes up to Sulphur Mountain. And I actually um, supervised that, that restaurant up there and got a lot of experience while I was in Canada. So that was great to bring home. So how long did you stay there for? We were there for a, and ended up being a year and a half. We came home a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. And because when came- it was hard traveling at 30. And yeah, it was a bit different to yeah. being single in your mid twenties to being thirty in a couple and sharing a house with loads of people, and it's just and then living in a car, like yeah. we were living in a car for a period of time, and just um, leading into that, we would we would have really really tough times, and we, I remember lying in the car with him one day, and we would just look at each other and say going to just go home and have baby Mika <laughs> and, and it, we'd already agreed on our name and about possibly starting a family and it was just a joke the whole time we're in Canada anytime going to just, just go home and have baby Mika <laughs> so you came home yeah. what was the next steps around falling pregnant and pregnancy and childbirth yeah so we uh, went back to my parents, lived there for a little bit just to get money um, and get our life back on track. And then obviously, again, I, I feel like telling my story, I feel like I've been very lucky with stars aligning and things falling into place at the right time. But um, one, I just couldn't deal with living at, in my hometown anymore. I really struggled being there. And I text uh, Phil one day who was working and I just said, come on, let's go. We're moving to Hobart. And on the same day, um, the contractors at the airport actually lost their contract. And he had six messages from everyone saying, new contractors taking over. Phil, come back. Please come back. There's a job here for you. Whoa, that's freaky. Yeah. And by that afternoon, he'd secured, within two days, he'd flown to Hobart and got his job back at Jetstar at Hobart Airport. So within a week, he had moved here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we moved here, just stayed with friends, got a rental, and um, I went off the pill the day that we moved here. Um, but obviously, I, I did that purely because I um, thought I was going to take a really long time if struggle with getting pregnant at all. I um, have had PCOS and uh, underactive thyroid, which go hand in hand. I got diagnosed with the PCOS first. And then the the thyroid after that, which is quite common, I think. Um, and I actually haven't had a um, normal period since I was, I think I've had one since I was 17 years old. So any time in my 20s where I actually went off the pill to get my body back to normal, I would get the, the, the symptoms. So I'd get acne and I would, I'd never had a period. So I was always quite concerned when it came to the point of trying to conceive a child. Do you just want to explain quickly about PCOS? 
to people listening that don't know what it actually is? Yeah, so basically it's um, on your ovaries, you have follicles, um, there's different levels, there's polycystic ovarian, which is a certain amount of follicles on your on your ovaries, and then it goes up to polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is lots of follicles on your ovaries, and the, the follicles, I think, prevent the egg from releasing and you're having natural periods and there's lots of other side effects to having it as well it's very common um i luckily didn't have all the side effects however i had the weight the weight i held always held weight and always struggled to lose weight and also when i went off the pill without managing the symptoms i would get a face full of acne which i had twice in my life by going off the pill so the only way then i could fix that was to go back on the pill um and realized in that time that i only had one natural period since i was 17 17 years old so i was Mm. quite concerned and that it did affect. And where every time I went to the doctor for help, um, all they would say to me is, you need to lose weight. That would be their response to everything. You need to lose mm-hmm. weight. I wasn't, I, I'm not, I, I'm not huge. I was never huge. I was at one point, I think I was 76 kilo, um, which I thought I was big at the time. Now I wish I was back there. Um, <laughs> but the doc, I walked into a doctor's office one day and he said, you need to lose 20 kilo. And that was his response oh, basically. Mm. Just so disheartening when, now I look at that 76 isn't even that big and when they're telling you that you just get so frustrated with it and yeah so I did start exercising um so for six I think it was six months we were just not really all that we couldn't really try because I didn't have a period so it's not like that we could plan when I was ovulating or anything it was just leaving it to chance um but I did start exercising and um funnily enough I somehow pregnant out of the blue without having a period which was huge yeah so how what how, from the time that you went off the pill till that happened what was the time frame it was seven months mm. and so how was, very how was um, so where were you working then as well yeah so in that time um, <laughs> this was yeah this is a very interesting story but I managed to Hobart's been nothing but great to us and when I moved here I uh, managed to score obviously my dream job of um, event coordinator at the Hotel Grand Chancellor Mm. so I had started there in the January and I was so excited I've never been so excited I obviously thought you know that year or the year after we would possibly start trying and going for maybe help to have a baby but I wasn't planning on trying at that time and obviously never thought it would happen um, because I didn't have a period however I started in the January and I uh, just backtracking a little bit I actually in the December I went to the doctors and I got put on metformin which is a diabetes medication that they give to people with PCOS that assists in weight loss which then helps with the system the symptoms of PCOS um, and I had side effects from that medication um, and when you they increase your medication you actually get like nausea and um, stuff until it kicks in and I'd been at the hotel for probably only a month and they'd upped my medication and I was having I felt really sick I was nauseous I was like oh I think it's my medication um, I'm really not feeling well this is not good um, and it just so happened that a girl there said I think you're pregnant and I'm like no I can't be it's not possible I don't have a period um, it's definitely not possible and no I can't be pregnant I've just started my job here no this, this is not happening anyway 
yeah, so I went home that night and joked with Phil about getting a pregnancy test and he went and got me one, mind you, not a pack of three. (laughs) (laughs) He got me one and he brought it home and it was one full line and a faint line and I was like, nah, I'm not. I sent, it, I sent a photo to my mom and I was like, she goes, I think you might be. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not. So I sent him back down the shops, go get a pack of three. And again, it was like a faint, one strong line and a faint line. And mum's like, you are, I think you are. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not pregnant. No. Anyway, I made <laughs> Phil pee on a stick <laughs> <laughs> and it came back as a genuine negative. Mm. And I so was they like, went faulty. oh, oh. <laughs> And then um, I went to work the next day and I just was stressed all day waiting to go. And I had a doctor's appointment the next day, but I just couldn't wait and ended up going to an after-hours clinic that night. And I walked in and showed her the photos and I said, I think I'm pregnant, but I need you to do your test. And she goes, I don't need to do my test. You're pregnant. And I'm like, Mm. no, I'm not. You need to do your test. And she's like, um, my test is exactly the same as them, but yeah. all right, here you go. And as soon as she dropped it in, it was instant two lines and I just burst into tears. <laughs> I was like, and I, I was really mixed emotions. It was like so happy, but at the same time I was devastated because I'd just started my dream job and mm. that's not how my usual planned life was meant to go. I wasn't meant to fall pregnant for another couple of months or a year, you know. <laughs> so how was pregnancy and how was it? obviously working through your pregnancy. Yeah. So I was very lucky at where I worked. They were very supportive. Um, they, from the day that I told them, they were, they were very, very supportive and, you know, um, the whole way through, they were just like, look, um, I know you haven't been here for long enough. There was no maternity leave offered mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so that was an issue, but they knew I hadn't been there that long. However, they said if I did want to come back, they would possibly find a position for me. If there was no opening in that area, they were that were really, really supportive the whole way through, um, especially with my appointments and things like that. So I was very lucky that I think that I live in a place like Hobart where people are so genuinely nice and everyone really, really helps and um, they were very excited for me. So it, it made it, it made it really, really easy. And I was very lucky with my pregnancy. I had a, a, a great pregnancy. I think I only vomited twice and one was from not eating. And the other one was from, um, I think I was hot after having a shower, but I was very lucky. Um, had no complications. Um, yeah, I, but I think I turned it into like that that whole time I was pregnant, I was pretty much felt like I just had this protective like little thing in me. Like I stopped exercising, I stopped doing anything. I was like, I just thought that you couldn't do anything when you're pregnant. I think you do that with your first. Now I know second time around, I can still go for a walk and I can still <laughs> do things. But the first time, I was just so I want to protect this little thing inside me. Um, it's such yeah. a weird feeling. I remember my first very first pregnancy that I just was like, how can the world, when I when we first found out and you kind of keep it to yourself with your partner or we did initially and um, I remember going about my day at work the next day, like how is the world still continuing? Like I've got a little human <laughs> creating inside of me right now. Like this is just next level mind-blowing. How can I go on with my normal life? Like it was such a surreal feeling. And then the second one, I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm pregnant, you know, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, I think it would be totally different the second time around. <laughs> so how was um, so how long were you then at, in your event management job? So only about eight months, probably. Was yeah, it? yeah, till yeah. the October. Yeah, until yeah. I, I I tried to work up to two weeks before, um, but I started getting swelling and stuff in my legs. I I, I was very lucky um, when you have PCOS. Um, you have a higher chance of having gestational diabetes. So I also had to have two of those yucky tests that they make you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I managed to get through my whole pregnancy without getting that, thank, thank God. Um, uh, and I uh, also, we didn't find out the sex either. We kept that a surprise. Um, and also we chose not to do the the Down syndrome test at the beginning of the pregnancy. Um, That was something me and my partner had decided um, not to do, just purely on the fact of some stories I'd heard and information I'd read. And I just found that um, with the way that they do the testing, I find they um, cause a lot more stress to the mother and the baby when they give a result of this is your possibility and then you've got to go to the next stage. And then it's like, no, you don't have a Down syndrome baby. It's like all that stress they create leading up to then still telling you you don't have one or you do and we had also decided that no matter what this baby was we were keeping it it was it didn't matter if what what it had if it had down syndrome we still would have kept it so we just would rather not know and we would just leave it to a chance of the baby we would get so um yeah we 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 left everything to chance (laughs) how was childbirth so heading into it um i I actually went in a couple of days early because I, I, I felt like I'd lost uh, the mucus plug or something was happening down there. And I went in and they actually put me on the monitor and I had a bit of high blood pressure. So they said, unfortunately, we're going to keep you in. I was two days off my due date anyway. And um, they were going to induce me. So going into childbirth, my only, which I don't know why, yeah, they say have a birth plan or have rules. I just think it's silly because the only thing that I really wanted was I really wanted a water birth and that's not possible here in Hobart at this point in time, unfortunately. I think there's going to be one in the new hospital, but there was no option for a water birth at the old hospital. So I didn't get that option and I didn't want an epidural and I didn't want to be induced and I didn't want a C-section and I ended up with all three. So it was interesting going into that that night saying they're going to induce you. And I was like, no, I don't want to be induced. Like, and then, yeah, you just roll with the punches really. Um, so I did get put in that night. The next day got the induction put in. Things progressed really quickly as in contraction wise. However, I didn't dilate. So um, I think they put it in at eight o'clock that night and by two o'clock in the morning I started contracting and then which were two to five minutes apart so full on very early on and all they gave me was like Panadine Fort initially and I was just using one of those heat bags for the pain Um, and then by the time Phil could come back in the next morning um, the plan was then to uh, by I think 10 o'clock take me into the birthing suite to break my waters and to uh, put the drip induction in Um, At this point, I was still only one centimetre dilated after contracting from 2am to 10am and I just hadn't progressed anymore. Um, So once they um, 
took out once they took out the tape and started the, the drip induction and they broke my waters uh, they said that um, things should start progressing however when they broke my waters I, I think only partial part of the water came out and at that point in time I was hooked up to monitors the whole time so I never got out of bed so the whole time I was sitting there with half the water still inside of me which was really interesting I I didn't know to get up no one told me to get up I didn't get off at a shower I was left just sitting in the bed with the gas and the the induction thing in all monitors on me thinking that I couldn't move because I had all the monitors attached and I didn't know that they were wireless and yeah I, I was left sitting there for a, what I call three hours of hell really mm. of intense pain and having the gas and not even being able to talk for three hours for then the nurse to be able to come in and say you're you're only three centimeters dilated and I, I by that point I if I wasn't ready to push then I was like I can't do this and I said how far along do you have to be to push and she's like 10 and I'm like oh no <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was funny because at eight o'clock in the morning, I'd had enough of contracting. I actually said to the nurse, can I just have a C-section now? She's like, no, sorry, you've got to try. And I was like, okay, just joking around. However, when they did come in um, in the afternoon and offer me my epidural, um, because the decision was made that either way, when you have a C-section, you have to have an epidural anyway. So they came in and said, do you want the epidural um, so we can turn the gap, the strip up and we can get things trying to get things moving before we make a decision. Um, and I just decided to have the epidural and the, by the time that they came in and, and gave me the epidural, um, I was contracting quite, a, quite regularly, I think every two minutes, I wasn't having any breaks at all. And, um, the, when I got the epidural, they actually missed twice, um, getting it in. So, just going back to the water thing while I was getting the epidural put in, I was sitting on the edge of the bed and every contraction I had like a waterfall of water coming out of me while I was on the edge of the bed trying to get an epidural put in. And every contraction was like a waterfall of water. Mm -hmm. It was just crazy. I, I just was, yeah, I just still can't that, that part of for me was probably the worst part of it all. But yeah, once, once the epidural, got put in uh it was like a whole new world it was bliss <laughs> um and so you had a cesarean in the end correct yeah so once they put uh that in I they walked in and said look things aren't progressing you're still three centimeters I think we need to make the decision you need to have an emergency c-section and I just burst into tears because I was just so tired and so frustrated with the process and everything and I just like do whatever you have to do just get this baby out of me like and I and I think I just resided to the fact that there's no chance that I could go from three to ten centimeters to then mm. go through pushing a baby out when I'd been yeah. in labor for that that long already um I yeah all well contracting for that long so it was sort of a welcoming welcoming decision and by they were very busy on that day so I actually had to wait till eight o'clock that night before I got put in for my emergency c-section and got wheeled up to the room and um, I, I was shaking my whole arms and everything was shaking and it was just such a nerve-wracking experience but um, I was so ready to find out what I was having <laughs> 
Um, and then, yeah, they they uh, they were already concerned that Mika was quite a big baby. Um, and when they pulled her out, um, they discovered she was posterior as well, which obviously didn't help with with me progressing in the labour as well. But they didn't know that at the time. So um, yeah, they pulled her out, and she got held above the curtain, and it was like a baby. And I was like, "What is it?" And made them turn it around, and Phil and I just looked at each other, and we're like, "We've we've got our Mika," <laughs> <laughs> and we just knew straight away it was like Mika's here. And I'm so glad it was a girl. We were both hoping for a girl, and we just really wanted to use our name Mika, and we weren't sure on our boy's name still so oh, we were really? just hoping that it was yeah <laughs> we were just hoping it was a little girl and we just had I think all our money on the fact that it was just going to be a little girl and we got Mika so it was beautiful and then yeah Phil did the the, the skin to skin because obviously I, I I couldn't do it and um uh during that part uh, it was quite hot in the room and Phil had Mika on his chest and I was feeling quite unwell due to uh, the medication that, that they give you and I turned around and I could hear them fussing over Phil and he's like can someone just take Mika for a minute I need I need to get her off I just need some air and then they're all fussing over Phil and he goes to stand up and they're like don't stand up and oh. <laughs> he, he'd, gone, he'd gone really pale and they wheeled a bed in for him and Phil and I both got wheeled out of the c-section <laughs> together <laughs> with uh, I with icy poles each. <laughs> oh. I hope that, somebody got a photo uh, of that for you guys. Yes, we have a great photo of us both in bed together <laughs> with the baby on me, both eating an icy pole. Yeah, it was quite entertaining. But, yeah, poor Phil hadn't eaten since lunchtime and it was mm. really hot in the room and then they put this baby on you and I think... Oh, it it's so, so overwhelming. overwhelming. So overwhelming. Yeah, oh, it was that's very hilarious. Funny. That's a story to tell yeah. Mika when she's older. I'm curious about the name yeah. Ivy as well. Where did that come from? So it's my great grandmother's name. Ah, oh, so um, I have an Ivy. My three year old is Ivy. Yes, yeah. yes, great name. I sort of, <laughs> I, I, I was really torn. It was always going to be Mika Ivy, and now I sort of regret using it for her middle name because I think if I had a girl, I would have loved to have called her Ivy. So, oh. but too late. You still could. You still could. No yeah, true. That. It would have yeah, double true. meaning being your after your grandmother and then um, older sister. So yeah, yeah. So it's, so then, it's um, what about from transitioning with having a newborn? So um, bringing bringing Mika home and how you adjusted to be a mum, breastfeeding, um, all that side of it. Yeah. So I was lucky enough by get. I think by getting a C section, being in hospital for those extra days after having a baby really really helped um having different midwives come in with different opinions different ways of doing things i think a lot of mums can get very overwhelmed by that however i really enjoyed that because i feel like i took certain things from certain ones and applied and if that didn't work i remembered another one and i just remember learning so much off off these women in those days following and i i don't think i would have coped if i had have got sent home 24 hours after having a baby i just i don't i find it so un, unreal that these women get sent home so quickly and some of the i had no idea about breastfeeding i knew i wanted to do it and i i had no idea about it apart from the class that i'd been to and 
I was lucky enough that I had a great midwife on this day and she just came and I was, Mika's latch was very good straight away. She opened her mouth really wide and I was very lucky with her latch. Um, and I had this midwife that just came one day and she put Mika on correctly on my boob and that relief of not having any pain and knowing that your baby's latched properly and getting that enjoyment from feeding was just that moment for me was amazing I was like right this is how it's meant to feel all the time if if she's not if it doesn't feel like this I know she's not on properly and I really put in time and effort into teaching myself how to feed and the midwives would come in and they were like are you sure this is your first like I think even the way I held her and with one arm and then got my boob ready not many new mums really like they struggle to hold the baby plus get the boob ready and that because you just got this tiny little thing in your arms and um I really I, I really put in effort to making sure that each time her latch was correct and that I was going to succeed at this because you hear so many horror stories of sore nipples and I was very lucky that I only had sore sore nipples for two days I only used nipple cream and I was very lucky that I really took to it and and just ran with it and actually only finished breastfeeding Mika about a month or so ago. So it is something I'm very passionate about and I really enjoyed the experience and I just wish there was some more help out there for women and breastfeeding and helping people to learn how to do it correctly and yeah, getting, I know some people can't, but I think getting that help really helped me. Good piece of advice. And I think the same thing is we were talking before we started recording how I had a cesarean as well and stayed in hospital for three days. And I know if um, you're through private, you tend to tend to stay a couple more nights as well. Whereas, I mean, if you go public and it's 24 hours, that's really, you've got no other option. Um, but when I know the maternal health nurse come to your home, so it is a really good point to be, to press, I think for women that are sort of first time mums that are booted out of hospital a lot quicker just they're there to help. So push that time that when they do come around to check on you at home to help with breastfeeding. I think a lot of women, we just sort of try and, you know, try and work through and soldier on ourselves, but that help and that support is there because yeah, I found that benefit of being in the hospital for the three days. And whilst it could be a bit overwhelming having different people based on what their beliefs were on breastfeeding come in and do you know tell you to do something differently or whatever um I did the same as you I kind of just went okay well you know this person told me this and I might tweak that a little bit to suit me because at the end of the day you and your baby know what's best and you're the one that's Mm. doing it and you can it is a feeling when it happens properly you just like okay that's the that's the feeling that's exactly how it should feel so if it's not feeling that way then you just kind of readjust and think make sure that latch is happening so um sorry um yeah and just the the overwhelming feeling of it when you first do it and I fed on demand so I pretty much had Mika attached to me 24 7 there was none of this two hour three hour break in between anytime she cried or like anything that she did I would just put her on the boob Mm. (laughs) and I was she was just attached to me 24 7 I was, was just like this is Oh, being able to do this was just for me the best thing I could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it really made the job easier um, and knowing and the convenience of it also for me. But I, I, I don't really, I struggle with being at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so from Mika being five days old, I was out every day. Mm-hmm. Whether it just be go to the shops, go for a drive, go somewhere, I was out every day. And I just loved the fact that no matter where I was, I could just jump in the backseat of my car and feed her and keep going. 
it's definitely very convenient if you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what did you do then? Um, so did, what, did you return to work? Have you returned to work after having Mika? Yeah, I have. So I... I don't know I, what you're doing now, I, but sorry, immediately after or what? Yeah, what was the plan? Um, I always thought I would be able to return to work sooner, but obviously mm-hmm. breastfeeding was a bit of you know for me I, I didn't really like pumping I, I want when she wasn't on me I wanted the break of not not having her on me so the idea of then attaching a breast pump to me to pump to send her to daycare to then work just was for me it wasn't an option mm-hmm. um, and I'm so lucky I have a really supportive partner and he he was on on track with me I don't think I would be back at work now if he had his way he just would love to have me at home with the baby 24-7 knowing that I'm there for her you know he just loves that that a mum can be home with the baby and but at the same time he also knows my personality type and knows that I need that 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 time out and we could feel at about 10 months getting to that point where I was ready I needed I needed some time and I needed some space and also to get my brain back on track to Mm. actually do something active because baby brain really really affects you (laughs) um so yeah Mm. I was uh, very lucky that I got to choose when I went to work and also again just work falling into place I didn't go out and go to job centers I wasn't actively seeking work I um I luckily enough uh I was at home and I sold a a watch online. I had this lady come and buy it. Um, I set it up for her and it just so happened she was uh, the librarian at a a local primary school. I had just on a passing comment had said to her, oh, I'd love to be a teacher's aide. That's something I've always thought of doing. I feel like it would be convenient for my life Um, going forward, having no family around. It would be school hours. Um, if, If I had another child, once they're both in school and she goes, that's exactly why. I worked at the school I was a single mum and it's been great to me and I said oh it's something I'd love to do well within a week she had uh, contacted her principal they'd contacted me and they'd hired me as a relief teacher's aide um, at the primary school and without no interviewed it was just like one of those things that just fell into place and I was like wow that I'm I'm so lucky it's tazzy for you too it's all about relationships (laughs) yeah I was yeah it was just one of those things that fell into place so that is one of my current roles Mm -hmm. um however with everything being going on I I've actually only done a volunteer day um in there and each time that they've called me I've unfortunately been busy but um it is something I'm going to try and do now if schools stay open because you can register at any schools once you're employed by the department of education so I really want to keep that um, that job and hopefully in five years or whatever when Mika's at school I can get a full-time position and um, she can go to the school that I'm a teacher's aide at and that would definitely help with having no family close by. So she goes to childcare? Yeah so when Phil and I decided having a baby we were always set on family daycare. We mm-hmm. both I wasn't a daycare child. I luckily enough didn't have to go to daycare and Phil wasn't either. And we both had agreed that when, when we did choose to send Mika, we would go to family daycare. 
And it just so happened when Mika was three months old, we were in getting a blood test and there was a lady sitting beside us, goo goo gaga over Mika. And she'd said, oh, I'm actually a family daycare lady in the area. And we're like, oh, what's your name? And, and I said, oh, cool. We'll maybe look you up when we're ready for daycare. So it just so happened that she had a spot free um, when we were ready to send Mika to daycare and do the, the trial days. And um, it all fell into place again and Mika goes to this family daycare just close by to our house and it's just been amazing for us. Even when I'm not working, I just enjoy the break. Um, it gives me an opportunity to true work if I, if I can and also Mika loves it and she's just progressed so much since going there. It's just absolutely fantastic what they do with them and being only five children as well we haven't had to deal with that sickness and all of that that comes with daycare so um I can't speak highly enough of family daycare mm, that's great it's it's funny it's um I my both my girls go to daycare and I couldn't speak highly enough of daycare so I think everyone's so different and whatever works yeah. best for you and for your children and for your family Definitely, um, like all of the mothers in mothers group go to a normal daycare and listening to them, there's pros and cons to both. Like mm. when they discuss actually the educational side of normal daycare, I'm like, mm. I feel like maybe Mika's missing out a little bit there, but I feel like then that's fine because once they go to kinder and things, they pick up on that anyway. And it's not like she's not learning. I just think that there's a different level of education probably at both. But I, for what we want, I feel like I'm just sending her to grandma's house. And I love that. Like if, if I had family here, I probably wouldn't send her to daycare. She'd be with mum and dad. So to me, this feels no different. What about, um, what's, what do you, aside from what's kind of happening on probably this is, the biggest thing right now is any sort of key challenges or anything that you face since becoming a mum and obviously with working around being a mum as well? Yeah, look, the uncertainty at the moment is scary and um, I actually do have a second job which is in hospitality um, and I am in negotiations at the moment over whether whether I still do have a position I think they're going to try their best to keep me on but at the same time I know there's a high possibility that that won't go on forever and we just don't know um, also yeah my partner working at the airport um, we're not sure on his position but currently we're very lucky that he still has a job um, so yeah going forward I guess my concerns with being a mother from a, a couple of weeks ago have totally changed now mm. to what, <laughs> what they were a couple of weeks ago to now I just feel like it's day by day um, Amika's currently teething um, she's not well so uh, we, we've actually just had to pick her up from daycare today, um, being that she was just not, not well at all. So, um, going forward, hoping that our daycare is going to stay open. Are they going to close? I'm um, mm. again, lucky enough that I can be home with Mika if they do close. Um, just the uncertainty is really, really stressed, stressful at the moment. I, I, yeah, it's day by day. What's um, any, any sort of information and thanks so much. Thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing your story. Um, you're obviously, yeah, got stuff going on with what's happening in the world as we all kind of do. Is there anything else aside from all of that, of any other key things or piece of advice or anything like that, that you want to share to any other mums listening um, just around becoming a mum and, and, you know, just, you know, mum guilt and just uh, working, being a working parent? Um, 
look, just do what's best for you and your family and don't compare yourself to others. I think you can get so caught up in the online. Um, this is what they're doing. There's a million books out there. Um, I think if you get so caught up in all the books and all the online information, um, you, I know a lot of mums-to-be get these books that people tell them about, the like sleep ones and uh, there was a guide to the first six weeks and you get so caught up in this and when you finally bring the baby home, you think you're just going to be able to live your life by these books. Mm. It's not like that at all and it, and it never will be. It's never going to be exactly like those books tell you. So I think if you just educate yourself um, by going online on actual websites I think is a, a good piece of advice don't go on all of those forums and I know there's lots of real mums and stuff out there but I just find if you go on like actual websites like the Breastfeeding Australia website the Raising Children website there's so many actual genuine websites with factual information that can save your life um, and mothers group big thumbs up for mother's group that also saved my life getting out once a week for coffee talking to other mums knowing we're all going through the same is definitely one that I I, I wouldn't have coped without all of them so um yeah. and yeah mum mum guilt's another one I think uh for me I I, I don't, I'm lucky enough I don't think I experienced that but at the same time there is certain days where I'm like uh, am I just going to try and get through today or am I actually like should I be coloring in with her should I be drawing with her should I be educating her as well as mumming her as well as you know I feel like again you can get so caught up in all the shoulds and what you should be doing um, pre-preparing all the healthy food is such a mission in itself I we are really strict with Mika's diet and we only give her like, um, like we don't do any sugar. We only give her homemade food and, you know, sometimes some of the package things when you're out, but we're very strict on that. So all of that's a full-time job in itself. And I just think some days you just like get so caught up in preparing good food, educating your child, raising your child, getting through the day, making sure they sleep, routine. It's just, there's so much you just need to, do what you can do for your what's best for your family definitely well thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate you sh uh, sharing your story and um appreciate you taking the time so thank you so much no thank you thank you to everyone listening this was episode 18 um one of the positives to what's happening in the world at the moment is that plenty of people are a bit more freed up with time so um i've got a re recording a podcast every day this week so there'll be lots more episodes released soon um for you to hopefully fill your days thank you all again so much and again if you could leave um reviews and share these podcasts with anyone that you think might benefit from it would really appreciate it have a great day